Matthew chapter 7, while you're standing. Matthew in chapter 7. I think most of you know my, my general habit is to preach through context. Uh, it doesn't always have to be verse by verse. I think some people think that expositional preaching is verse by verse, and there's some truth to that, but I've heard people preach verse by verse and Oh, man. <laughs> okay? They, then they, they put things into the text that aren't there. If the word grace is mentioned, they'll preach three weeks on grace, even though that's not what the text was talking about. And I'm not against preaching on grace by any stretch. Or, by the way, I'm not opposed to topical preaching. Those of you who come on Wednesday night should know that. We've been preaching on the doctrine of the church. But... <clears throat> A context, and I, I literally, end of chapter 7, it's just kind of a, a little extra tie-on, it's not the statements of Jesus, but because it's scripture, okay, I went ahead and looked at it just to make sure, you know, I'm, I was going to move on to chapter 8, okay, well, just, just double check, make sure I'm not skipping something here, and it was just, it was just too much there for me just to walk past, and so I, I once we're done with this, I think you'll understand uh, why uh, I didn't walk past it. So chapter 7 and verse 28. Chapter 7 and verse 28. So Jesus has literally just completed his Sermon on the Mount since the beginning of chapter 5. Verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And we're going to focus on that last bit. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Father, we thank you, Lord, that Lord, you just continually amaze with Lord what we find in Scripture. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see and hear and understand what you'd speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When uh, The reason I say there's a message here, one of the things that we do looking at a passage is we ask, we ask questions. We see, does the passage ask a question and answer a question uh, in, a, in a series of verses or in part of a story? Sometimes that can be one verse, a part of a verse. Sometimes it can be... You get in some of the Old Testament passages, it can be two or three chapters before the question is answered. And so I, I begin looking at this thing, and I'm like, it was just interesting to me because it was, when they got done, they just were shocked, shocked at Jesus. And, I, and the more I looked at it, the more I understood. And listen, this is the question that, that I, kept look, I kept coming back to is, why should men trust God? Why should, they, why should they listen to what he's saying? Why should they trust what he's saying? Okay. And here's the answer, and it's right there in that second passage, because he had authority. And he didn't teach like men taught, the scribes specifically. So why should, we should trust God, so we have to answer the question, why should men trust God? We should trust God because he commands truth, while men argue about truth. Sometimes even if there is truth. Okay, so it's there, it's obviously there, and some of you... uh, 
Some of you have been in situations, I don't know, uh, if you've ever taken first aid training. Now, I know we have some nurses in the room, but uh, first aid training, if you take that, if something happens nearby and you're trained in first aid, and there's an extent, you are taught to take command of the scene pretty quick and use resources available to you. As a matter of fact, it's some of the things that we, we, we probably may need to put into place even here is like, you, if there's an issue, you point at one person. You, call 911 and tell them, what, tell them this, this, and this and get them here. You, go, go get me this and this and this. And you don't just generally start going, ah, can somebody? No, you take charge. You say, you call 911. You, I need some wet rags. I need some dry rags. Go get me those. You know, you, I mean, it's instantaneous. You start going around asking questions. And I remember I had just, just completed my first, uh, I, was, I was certified. I had first aid training, a CPR training, and I was, I was going to be uh, taking part in a first aid tent at the end of a, a, a long run. And uh, I was driving down the road, had just got my license, you know, I could drive by myself, and right through town. We had a little bitty town, about 2,000 people. And I just, you know, light turned green, and I turned over, and like normal, I'm looking both ways, and I look down, and as I'm passing down the street, about a half a block down, I see a guy laying on his back in the middle of the sidewalk, and nobody's doing nothing. Okay, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's obvious. I thought I saw him shaking a little bit, and I'm like, oh my goodness, so... My first aid training kicked in. I don't see anybody doing something. I'm going to have to do something. So I go up to the next block, turn left. So you understand, I'm in a car. That guy's lying there. I have to go around the block and find a parking spot. And by the time I'd done all that and got to him, there was still nobody by that guy laying on his back on the ground. And by the time I got to him, I could see he was, he was obviously having some sort of a seizure. About the same time I got to him, Another young lady, my same age, ran up the same thing. She had seen the same thing, had to find a place to park, and we both ran up. And we both, first aid training kicked in. Is he breathing? And we're working, I'm just, just, thank the Lord there was two of us because we're bouncing off each other. Is he breathing? Okay, is he having a seizure? We need to check his tongue. And, I mean, so we're sitting there, we're trying to elevate and figure out what we need to do and listening, you know, and doing all the proper stuff. And so while we start, finally a police officer shows up. Okay, well, now it's great because now I'm no longer in charge because he's a real authority. So I took charge. One of us did. We started taking charge. Well, and he shows up and he says, uh, uh, did somebody call 911? And, uh, and there was a guy standing right there. I, I think I even told, one of us told the guy, one of the store owners, literally, I mean, right in front of on a sidewalk in front of a whole line of buildings, a whole line of businesses. So this isn't empty. It's like right downtown here, in front of open businesses. And one of us had told this guy, yes, he's calling 911. And he says, okay. And I looked at him and says, what can I do? He says, start hitting stores and find out what happened. Okay, so I walked around. People asked what's going on. He took charge. When the police officer showed up, he told me what to do. And I didn't have a question or problem doing what he said. Why? Hello? <laughs> He's the police officer. I, there was no question of me doing, okay, I will do exactly that. I just want to be a help. You understand that when Jesus spoke here, he spoke like that police officer did to me. He spoke in a way that the people went, well, he ain't leaving no question about what needs to be done. He's not just tossing up a philosophy on the street corner, hoping maybe we'll buy into it. He's saying, I mean, listen, he says, you do this, you don't do this. There's a big difference, and their, their, their problem was that he spoke so differently from the scribes. Why were they astonished at this? Well, again, and this is, this is the argument, and we, some of you have heard these terms, there's some philosophical or logical fallacy arguments that we use. Jesus spoke with authority. Okay? 
the scribes or the other teachers that the Jewish that the Jewish people were used to spoke from authority. Okay, and that's a, that's an actual term from authority. Some of you might you might also be called appeal to authority. And here's what I mean by that: an argument from authority or an appeal to authority is a form of argument or reasoning that argues that this person is an authority in this field, and if he makes a statement about it, it is probably true. Now, that that sounds good, doesn't it? Okay? But it's been misused a lot, and it literally is called a logical fallacy. Okay? In informal reasoning is where it gets messed up. The appeal to the authority is an argument of the form. So, A is an authority on a particular topic. A says something about that topic. A is probably correct, okay? The argument is good when you're going to the doctor, (laughs) right? Is everybody here? It's it's good when you're going to the doctor, okay? I need to take my medication. Why? Because the doctor told me to. Is the doctor always right? I got misdiagnosed. I had mono, got misdiagnosed, I think, Two or three times? You know, doctors aren't always right. That's why they're practicing medicine, but you know, we need to go on that. But, but they are. We tend to trust. We go to the doctor. We tend to trust what they say. We believe you have this. This is the medicine. This is the, they are a real authority. They have been trained. They obviously have more training than I do. So there is a good version of this where we do trust someone. Like when the policeman comes up, If he says to do something, he is the policeman, he is trained, I am going to trust what he says, I'm going to do what he says. The argument is bad when the the authority is false or the authority is being taken out of context. Okay? Everybody here? Well, it's on Google. Well, I know know it's true because I saw it on the Internet. It's, it's just true. Because the internet has no falsity, right? Uh, now, can we just stop? Does the internet even have authority? Because anybody can say anything. I, I'm just telling you, if you want to prove an argument, I guarantee you it's on the internet somewhere. You can prove that the sky is purple probably from the, from the internet somewhere, okay? Well, it is purple sometimes. You hear, hear what I'm saying? Okay. A part of the internet may have some authority, quote-unquote, but it is unclear because the argument is not always specific. And, by the way, authorities can be taken completely out of context. It happens all the time. Uh, My wife recently, uh, well, not recently, maybe last year or the year before, she read a biography of Barbara Bush. And uh, she was surprised in reading all the way back when George and Barbara, that, that was president, they were in the Oval Office, how often they would hear in the news something they had said taken completely out of context or even saying, literally saying they had said something that they had not, outright lies. I mean, like, shocking. Like, we would read it and say, oh, I can't believe they did that. And the president or the Mrs. President is over there going, what? That's not what we said. Who said that? And by the way, that's not new. That's not new. That's like going on... I mean, all the way back to at least Andrew Jackson and before. (laughs) Okay. So, you say, well, I I hear what you're saying, but how did the scribes teach from authority? 
Because you know what a scribe, a scribe was what we would look at as a lawyer, okay? A scribe's job was to study Scripture. That was their job, to study Scripture, to understand Scripture, and to be able to communicate that to the people that were around. Like Ezra, okay, was a scribe, okay? So that, that was their job. So this is the people that they were listening to. The other teachers that they were listening to were the scribes, okay? But the problem was that the scribes of their day had gotten messed up, okay? That, now, the scribes gained authority because somebody came in and started teaching something that was completely anti-biblical, and the scribes came out and said, uh, that's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says, and everybody recognized it to be true. Well, what happened was, from that, the scribes kind of gained a little bit of power, and a lot more people started coming to them, finding out what's right, what's wrong. And, you know, there, some things, instead of just saying, I don't know, they would come up with something. Now, they didn't just come up with it off the cuff. This is what they would do. They would say, I wonder what, I wonder what Rabbi Hillel says about that. Or I wonder what Rabbi Maimonides says about that. And so while Jesus, literally, Jesus was the spokesman of God. We could say he was God, but let's just say in the flesh he was the spokesman of God. The scribes taught as spokesmen of other teachers who talked about God. Or their own philosophy about God. So what had happened, what were the scribes had started saying, this is what God says in the book. You know, use it or lose it. This is what God says. They left that, and now we're saying, well, about this particular passage, you know, Philo says this, but then on, on, you know, on the other side, Hillel says this, or you could pick, and these are actual rabbis, by the way, that they look to, uh, or you could pick Maimonides, who he said this, and so, you know, you could kind of look at this how you want. So Jesus' authority, listen, he came from himself because he's God, and the scribes' authority came from other teachers about God. Everybody connect the dots? I'll make sure I'm keeping up with my notes. The scribe, now, today, believes that God, so when I talk about, I'm talking about Jewish leaders, believe that God has always spoke in rhymes and riddles and metaphors and pictures and that men need to, in every generation, unravel, unravel those pictures for the people today. And today it might mean something different, but for the next gen- or it might be something, but for the next generation, that truth will have evolved. <clears throat> Jesus knew that God, what God says is enough. What God has said is enough, and it needs no improvement. Uh, just take it, uh, how is it that Jesus put it? As it is written. As it is written. So Jesus in talking, listen, I want you to, I'm going to give you a couple examples. So Jesus in talking with the scribes in Mark chapter 7 answers some questions that they had about their own, guess what they're called? Traditions. Traditions. Not what the Bible said, but they were asking questions about their traditions. Not God's word. But the philosophies developed because men trying to figure out what God figure out what God meant because it must mean something deeper and bigger. Come on now. 
How many preached preachers have said, I searched the scriptures and I have found, I believe God has revealed to me something brand new. No, there's nothing new. Song of Solomon told us that. Solomon told us that. In Ecclesiastes, sorry, not Song of Solomon. Nothing new under the sun. Man's philosophies. Mark, this is what Jesus said to them in Mark chapter 7 to the scribes. You've making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things like things do ye. Matthew, in discussing that same conversation, records it this way. Matthew 15, chapters, verses 1 through 6. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth thy father, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honorest not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made, I'm not going to go into all that, but they really screwed that thing up. He says, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Here's saying, we have this great tradition. This rabbi said this, and this is what, how things ought to be done. And God says, yeah, but the Bible says, that's what Jesus responded. The Bible says, okay, later Jesus, after quite a rebuke and a correction to some other scribes, says this familiar statement. Listen to this, chapter 23, verse 23. Always cracks me up when people talk about, oh, Jesus never offended anybody. He was just love, love, love all the time. They've not read the Bible. Here's Jesus, woe unto you. That's a serious, from God. You guys are going to get into some serious trouble from God. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. You guys are hypocrites. You've lifted up one thing and just ignored another of your own free will. You've picked out what's important and what's not. He says, I'm telling you, you should have been doing both. These same scribes had gotten used to being teachers. They liked that power. They liked that power, the power of their natural wisdom to control the people. By natural, I don't mean it came to them naturally. It's of the flesh is what I mean. Mark chapter 11 and verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. That's Jesus. For they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. What was going on? He was getting more attention than they were, and they said, this ain't right, we're going to have to destroy this guy. We need them back here, under us. We need them listening to us. The Jews, listen, still to this day, believe that the meaning or interpretation of a scripture changes over time. I've never mentioned that. And their support of this, and listen, it's based on a half-truth. Is God big? Is God's wisdom Deeper than anything we could imagine. Okay, so on that premise they say, okay, that the depth of his word can never be plumbed, which I also agree with. And that it, listen, it can mean more than one thing at one time. And that sounds just great, doesn't it? It sounds like some deep and wonderful philosophy. But let, let me show you how that bears itself out. Some of you might know the foremost rabbi in the United States, or in America, okay, the foremost rabbi in America is in LA. His name is David Wolpe. He's frequently on radio, radio and TV. Um, I think I'm saying that last name correctly. Forgive me if I'm not, but David Wolpe, uh, he's literally considered the foremost Jewish rabbi in America. He gave so- several illustrations of this practice in the, when he did an interview on a on North Star podcast. And this was his conclusion after giving several interpretations 
of one passage. He says, here's one passage. Here's this interpretation. Here's this interpretation. Here's this interpretation. And here's his, here's his conclusion. I will let your listeners decide. So here's the passage. It could mean this. It could mean this. It could mean this. You pick which one you like. By the way, this same rabbi also pretty much doubts a lot of the Torah. He doubts the Exodus ever happened. I, but anyways... So God, listen, is the stated authority. That's what David Wolpe would say, that God is his authority. But when it comes right down to practice, David Wolpe says, why don't you just pick, this rabbi says, why don't you just pick the best version of God's word based on whatever it is that you feel like is the right wisdom for you at the moment. Do you understand how messed up that is? So who, essentially, if you take all that together, Who's the one that essentially is deciding my next actions? Me. Well, yeah, but I based it on God. No, you based it on what some man said about God. Listen, listen. So the people, listen, the people of Israel, even back in the New Testament, they're constantly used to this changing set of instructions and commands that in one generation, well, my father believed it means this, but for me, in my situation, I just think it means this. Again, this is why I'm totally against those, let's just gather around and look at each other and read a passage and say, well, I, I think it means this, and I think it means that. That is really sweet, but you know what really matters? What does God mean? What does God mean by it? Not what do we think. What is God saying? Like God is incapable of saying what he means? I mean, Seriously. Like God is so high above us that, he, that you know, the God of it, who can do anything can't figure out how to talk. Jesus did not teach this way. That's why they were astonished. Well, how did Jesus teach? He taught with authority. It is written. In this passage, it's real clear. I just want you to think, and I'm, I'm not going to go back and re-preach the whole Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to just real quick, I'm going to give you some generalities. The whole passage of the Sermon on the Mount, do this and do this and do this. Don't do this. You're a hypocrite if you do this. There are only two gates and two paths that lead, and one leads to life and one leads to destruction. And most of you won't find the right one. Watch out for liars. Their actions will reveal them. A lot of people are not going to heaven and think they are. So listen to what I'm saying and do it. You do it. If you do it, your life will stand. If you don't do it, you're going to have a pretty big fall. That's authority. There is no, well, here's some truth. You know, pick which version you like. No, it's saying, you want a life that stands? Listen to what I just said? Do that. You want a life that falls? Just ignore everything I said. That's authority. There's no room in here for, well, here's a few different versions of my teaching. Here's what Peter thinks. And John the Baptist kind of thought this along this line. And, you know, now just go and decide which version he liked the best. No. No. He spoke as God because he was God and the teaching was clear and had an expectation of the listeners altering their lives to adjust to his teaching, not get to pick the best version so they can fit it into their own life. No, he was saying, alter your life or there will be consequences. This is it right here. You got two choices. Now, you got the path, the broad way or the narrow way. Uh, one leads to destruction and one leads to life. Oh, and by the way, most of you are not going to choose the right one. Not because they 
miss the opportunity because, no, because they don't want an authority in their life. They want to, they much rather listen to people say, there's many ways to the top of the mountain. God's heaven has many doors and many windows. No, it don't. No, it don't. There is one name given among heaven, given, given from heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. One. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. For there is none other name under heaven. There we go. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. The way, not one of the ways. There's only one way. Listen. Now, why is all this a big problem? Why would it be a problem for us? Why would I bring it up today? Because, you know, it's not like man still tends to trust the words of man over the words of God. Is everybody here? We say, I, I love how much we say, well, I don't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. I pity your doctor. You take the pills he said to take? Hello? Yeah, well, I was talking to my brother, and he said, come on. Well, I, I read this really good book, and it made so much sense, and that book says, well, I saw this video on YouTube, and this guy, he just made a lot of sense. Ra- totally random people are believed. I, listen, I, 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 I'm not picking on people who use essential oils. I know there's some, there's some, some value in there. But in the book Educated, some of you need to read that book. It's really interesting. The book Educated. This girl talked about her mom. Her mom would get on the phone and talk to people and said she could feel their energy and knew what essential oils they needed by talking to them on the phone. And they believed her. But you do the same thing. This product is the best product you'll ever have. This car is the greatest car that ever has existed. Well, I'm a Ford guy. Found on the road, you know, Found on the road dead. GMC only. Well, I'm Dodge, you know. Uh-huh. Where do all cars end up? I'll, you know what? Uh, Brother Andy and I will tell you that we're handymen. And when we not want to know how to do something, we go, I wonder what YouTube says about that. There's got to be a YouTube video on this somewhere. And granted, YouTube does have some People who really know their stuff. And then there's the other people. Well, I wonder what Dr. Phil thinks about that. I wonder what Oprah says. I wonder what Maya Angelou says about that in her book. I wonder what Ben Shapiro thinks. Have you, have you heard? Have you heard what Ben Shapiro says? What about, you ever heard what Michael Knowles says? Or Matt Walsh, he said this. It, it's interesting. The flesh rebels against authority, doesn't it? Come on. The flesh rebels against authority. You know it. Rules are meant to be. Duh. The flesh does not want authority. From the, I mean, you, you all know if you've had kids, they don't even have to talk and they can cuss you a blue streak. No, no. <laughs> Little children can make the air blue. Just because you don't understand the words does not mean the air is not blue.
The flesh rebels against authority. I bet you that professor doesn't read this whole paper. I'm going to put right in the middle. If you read this, I'll buy you a steak dinner. But that is just, all that is is outright rebellion. He's not so great as he thinks he is. Oh, by the way, I used to grade papers and I actually looked for that. Never found that, but I tried it. I did find seven guys who cheated on the same exact, well, anyways. The whole Bible tends to prove that man rebels. You know, like we're preaching through the book of Judges. What about the fool man, the foolish man and the wise man in the book of Proverbs? What does the fool do primarily in the book of Proverbs? He refuses instruction. In other words, if somebody comes along and says, can I help you here? Can I show you how to do this? The fool says, no, I know what I'm doing. I don't need no help from you. Stupid old man thinks he can tell me what to do. Thinks he knows more than me. Let, hear what I'm saying? <laughs> it is. We much prefer to sign, find someone, and this is one of the things that when, if you counsel anybody, it's one of those things that you kind of worry about because humans tend to try to find someone who agrees with what they're already thinking. And I have literally had to tell people in the office, um, I'm sorry, but if you're looking for a stamp of approval on this, you're not, you're not getting it from me. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Like, why would they have teachers having itching ears? <laughs> no. no. In other words, like my dog, before he goes into the crate at night, he leans up against me and what? He wants, he wants me to hit just the right spot. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what it's saying. That what we're going to look for is we're going to keep running to person to person and person until they finally tell us just what we want to hear. And it's like, oh, yeah, that just, I like that. Humans are really good at doing this. So what do we do to change it? Just believe it. Don't search for hidden meanings. Believe that God meant what he said and it's got words that are understandable. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. We should trust God because he commands truth while men constantly argue about it, or if there is any. I'm telling you, this is, it's amazing how broad this, this applies. How, I mean, this applies in so many different places. Now listen, we're a KJV church. We're not a Ruckmanite church. We don't believe that somehow the English Bible has been lifted to some super, super place and now corrects all the previous versions. That's Ruckmanite. We don't believe that. That's baloney. God breathed out his word, and he promised to preserve it. Not one jot or one tittle would ever disappear. Even Jesus. So the wrong idea, listen, here's, here's, what, here's how man does this. There's a lot of arguments to say that the King James, it might be just the best of a bunch of imperfect translations. And let me tell you, that's the best argument for the King James, of those who don't believe it. There's others who just said it's wrong completely. 
And now listen, this is what they'll say. Well, you know, the, it was, the Bible was inspired and correct in the originals. You ever see that term, in the originals? What they mean is, is that it was only ever perfect the moment God gave it. And since then, man's messed with it. That, this is what they're saying. Since then, man has messed with it. Copiers and scribes and printers, and there's been all these errors. And, and, and now, we, now here's what they'll tell us. Now, we have to go to experts, men, who can tell us which parts of the Bible are God's word and which parts aren't. And here's the problem. They don't even agree with each other. Pick your truth. Pick which one you like the best. Now listen, this is what the Bible says about itself. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Well, yeah, but they believe the word stands forever. Keep listening. Matthew 5, 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So God's word is out here somewhere. Right? And it's exactly as he wanted it, with nothing missing. Now let me tell you Psalms 12, 6. I know we like to use Psalms 12, 6 and 7 together, but I'm just going to use verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Do you know what the word pure means? There's no error in it. There's nothing mixed in badly. It's pure. So God's word is available today exactly as God gave it, exactly how it's intended, and it is still pure. It is still exactly what God gave, not messed with. No bad stuff included. You know my old, my old illustration. I'll make, I'm going to make you two, uh, two things of brownies, two plates of brownies. One will be Miss Vicky's original recipe. The next one's going to be Miss Vicky's original recipe with a quarter teaspoon of cow manure. Which one do you want? Hello? Yeah. How do you know which bite is going to be? <laughs> Listen, this is what critics say. I pulled this word, from, word for word from a critical website, a critical Bible website. Biblical researchers study all available manuscripts to help determine the best reading of each individual word of the Bible. In other words, God has no authority here. You must go to men the words of men, to find out the authority of God. In other words, we can trust from authority. I mean, that there is authority. We can trust with authority, or we can trust from authority. You hear what I'm saying? These people literally don't believe that you can just go to the Word of God, decipher it to mean exactly what it says, look up the definitions, and say, here we go. No, no, you have to go to men of science to really find out what the Bible needs. By the way, that's called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, by the way. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans means that there's, there's those of us who are experts and the rest of you are just the laity. Nico, meaning the Greek word for power. Laetans, the laity. Uh, we have power over the laity. You have to come to us to really find out. No. No. A pastor has authority, but it, that authority is very limited. And the ultimate authority is always God. Amen. There's no pick your favorite. Jesus promised God's word would remain. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And from the passage in Psalms, we know that they must still be pure because God said they're pure. 
Amen. They're pure. So do you want a Bible that has been translated by men who are telling you, well, you have to know what experts say about God's Word, or you just want to go to God's Word and just trust that God said what He meant, and He meant what He said? Amen. Another thing is, for all those of you who are preachers and teachers, listen, preachers and teachers, or you've been, you got someone asking you questions about the Bible, listen, 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 listen. Spend most of your time understanding what the Bible is saying. Don't spend most of your time reading books from people who are telling you what the Bible is saying. Listen! I, and I, the, I have, I've got a, a very large library. I, I wish it was a lot larger. I, I love books. I love hard copy books. I like having all those tools at my disposal. But I don't need those tools to tell me what God said. I don't need it. I got this. <coughs> I get this in a dictionary. Hello? <coughs> it's pretty straightforward. It's not like God messed up his words anywhere. You, know, you think because he's God that he would kind of know the words that he really wanted used and their definitions. You get the picture? Well, I just don't like all the these and thous. Well, that's because you don't know that God is specific. These and thou's are because God is specific. Every new Bible tosses them out. And you know what? In our modern language, we don't have a replacement for thee and thou. We do not have a replacement for thee and thou. Because thee and thou is, means singular. One person. That's it. In, all, in the King James, all the these and thou's means he's talking to one person and one person only. And all the Y pronouns, yous and yees, he's talking to a group. Simple. We don't have that in our language today. You can mean you or you. There's a reason I trust this book. Yet I'm telling you, you go to Peter. You go, you go to what Jesus has an interaction with Peter, and he says, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Every other Bible translation says, I give unto you, which could mean Peter, it could mean the group, in the way we use English language. But in how it's written, he gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, and Peter only. That makes a difference. Listen, for those of you, listen, stop. I, I went backwards on a point. Let me go back forward to where I am. For those of you who are teachers, us as preachers, stop. Be wary. Be wary of people who are trying to tell you what a passage means. And when you look at the passage, you're like going, okay, he must have something I don't have. You remember when we looked at Romans 8.29? When we preached the book of Romans, some of you remember, we looked at Romans 8.29. And we looked at predestination. Okay, we looked at it seriously. We, do you remember, some of you remember when we did that? And remember how we, we looked up every word. What is for, what, you know, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And we looked up every word. We looked up the word foreknow. We looked up its definition in the Greek language and the English language. We found how they matched. We looked up the word predestination. We looked up and we found how they matched. And then we went and we looked at John Calvin. And then we went and looked at John Piper. John Calvin meaning one of the initial formers of this whole reform religion. John Piper meaning uh, a modern kind of a uh, edge version of this religion. And we looked at John MacArthur, who is fairly close to us. And you know what they all did? They all took the word for no in that verse and did not use the definition. They did the definition of predestination. They did all the definitions of all the rest. But on the word for no, every one of them started saying, well, you know, 
the word know is used like this over here, and that could be here, and you know, it could mean this, and it could mean that, instead of just using the definition that's in the book. Like God somehow decided in that one verse that he was going to use a metaphor on that one word, and he was only going to let you know, three or four people in all of the ages know what that metaphor meant. No! No! God chose specific words. Amen. Amen. Trust the book. Listen, for those of you who like to read books, I have been greatly helped. I'm not saying don't read books. I'm not. I have been greatly helped by some authors. Uh, I've been greatly helped by those commentators. I, I have been stuck beyond belief on a passage and, and start walking through commentators and looking at this guy. That's not what that passage is saying. That's not what that passage is saying. Oh, my word. Okay, now, this matches what the passage is saying. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, now, that actually, that's what the, ver- that's what the words mean. Okay, it's helpful. I just needed another angle, another picture on what the text is already saying. I don't use those books to tell me what the, what, the book, what the book is saying. I use them to help confirm what it is saying or to help me maybe say it a little better. The Bible is quite good at speaking for itself. Amen. Trust the book. What does it say? Trust it. Obey it. It's, this is authority. Ben Shapiro, who I greatly respect, but he's, he's not a Christian. He's a Jew. And listen, he says arguments from the Bible are arguments from authority. Well, we're just trusting what other people have said about God. No. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is authority. It's God's Word. He used men to give it, but it's God's Word. Trust the book. Beware, beware, beware. Someone that tells you that you're not going to get it unless you have an expert. Baloney. Baloney, baloney, baloney. Listen, when Jesus answered the devil, he didn't say, well, Rabbi so-and-so said. And he didn't look and say, well, Peter thinks like, no. He said, thus saith the Lord, and he quoted Scripture. As it is written, and he quoted Scripture. He didn't have to go back there and give the devil 14 different versions and tell him to pick which one to use against himself. He says, no, here's the clear word to God. Trust the book. Stop arguing with it. I'm telling you, believers, stop finding books that make you feel better about how you're already acting in in disagreement with the clear teaching of Scripture. Because there's plenty of books out there that will give you a break on your Christianity. Get yourself a dictionary. Get yourself a Strong's Concordance. That's about all you'll ever need. That's about all... That's what most preachers spend most of their time doing back in our offices. We've got a yellow pad or a a blank screen, and we start looking at the Scripture and saying, huh, it says this and it says this, and I wonder what that word means, Strong's or other dictionaries, or or past things called lexicons, which tell us how a word was used in that time period. Great, that's very, very helpful. Okay, here's how we look at that, here's how we get that. But dictionaries, this is what the word means. It's interesting. We live in a world now that even wants to change all the definitions of, we want to throw away the dictionary. Word can mean whatever I want it to mean. Hello? Male and female created he them. I think God knew what he meant when he said male and female. 
He doesn't need us to rewrite what those definitions are. Beware, beware, beware those who would tell you that you need to listen to some other man to understand the book. You know what my job is? My job is, my job is not to tell you what the book means. My job is to show you, how you, show you what the book means so you can see it for yourself. And there's times maybe I get up and, and don't do it properly. You should be able to look at the book and say, mm, that word don't mean what he says it means. I challenge you. If you think it doesn't mean, go look at it and bring it to me. I'm telling you. If I miss a definition, bring it to me. I'll take it. I'll be corrected by Scripture. I better be, because this is the authority I'm not. Why should men trust God? <laughs> because he speaks with authority. And lots of men, they just want to give you ideas about authority or about God. But this tells you clarity. Clear as a bell. Thus saith the Lord. I'll bet you it was astonishing to them. Should be astonishing to us. If you read that book and aren't astonished every once in a while and how God calls you out on your own sin, you're missing something. Or you'll listen to a whole lot of experts that are giving you easy ways around some of the direct commands, directions, ideologies, philosophies, principles of Scripture. We should trust God because His commands are truth. While men, Christian men, arguments are all about versions of the truth or if there even is truth. There is truth. It's right here. You can trust it. Father, Lord, thank you.